If you have a Bible, you can open it to our New Testament reading, which is Ephesians 1, 15 through 21. Text is also printed on the next page of the bulletin for you. Hopefully you grabbed one of those on your way in. Helps you through the worship service. Um, I imagine you'd be lost at this point if you didn't have one already. So just turn to the next page. Uh, Every Sunday, every single Sunday that we get together for worship, we get together on Sundays in particular uh, because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. uh, we, We remember the resurrection. We proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. Uh, we actually do that together. Uh, we say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, every Sunday, because uh, uh, that's why we get together for worship. This is the particular Sunday, then, in the annual church liturgical cal- calendar that uh, most churches, I think, uh, will uh, recognize. It is dedicated to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it's serious stuff. It's life and death stuff. It's life and death and eternal life stuff that uh, we need to talk about. Tim Keller um, has some pretty good quotes on uh, the resurrection from various of his writings. He says, um, he says, the issue on which everything hangs is whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Everything. Uh, the issue on which everything hangs, the, the turning point, the hinge of all history, everything that you could uh, possibly consider in your life, in the world, uh, your destiny, all of it. It hangs on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. We've remembered his death on the cross on Good Friday with our worship service, uh, Good Friday evening. We've lingered um, in that space between in the, sort of the outer darkness of the grave on Holy Saturday, uh, remembering that. And if that was just the end of Jesus' story, that he was crucified, dead, and buried... If that was the end of his story, then we'd all be in a really terrible place. In fact, we just wouldn't even be here. Um, But the actual fact of the matter, and it is that, it's a fact, it's no one's private opinion. Uh, It's a public historical truth for all people everywhere, for all time. The great fact of all facts is that God raised Jesus from the dead. His story did not end with his crucifixion and his burial in that tomb. God raised him from the dead. You need to know what that means for your life. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, using using Ephesians chapter 1. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray for your mercy, we pray for your grace, we pray for your love to be poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. We pray for the Spirit's work fixing our eyes on Christ, that we would be able to hear your word, that we would be changed by it, that it would change all of our lives. We pray that you'd help us to respond as we should respond to your word uh, with faith, with trust, with hope in you, and with joy. We pray that you would do that work by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead." And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Paul's scriptures are sometimes hard to understand. Uh, maybe that's because he likes these long run-on sentences. It's, it's really worth going and spending more time in this sentence, uh, un- really meditating on and unpacking all of Ephesians 1. Um, you can go home and do that. Just think about Ephesians 1. I think there's really only two sentences in there. So it's not like I'm assigning you much homework. <clears throat> but uh, it can be hard to understand. We're, we aren't even going to unpack everything in our passage this morning, everything that we just read. Um, we're going to focus in on the fact very basically, that Paul, Paul's telling the church in Ephesus, and it really counts for all of us, we need to be thinking this way uh, for our church too, that he's telling the church that he's praying for them. He's praying for the Holy Spirit's work. He's praying for the Holy Spirit's work to open the eyes of their hearts, to enlighten the eyes of their hearts, to be able to see, um, in particular, what we're going to talk about this morning, God's resurrection power, verses 19 and 20, his resurrection power. That's what Paul wants the church to be able to see. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit for you to be able to see God's uh, uh, resurrection power. He begins by telling the church that he gives thanks to God for them. That they exist as a church because of God. They've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is uh, something that's been initiated entirely as a gift of God's grace. He sent his son into the world to die for sins, to rise from the dead, and they've, they've heard this gospel. They've responded with trust and he says, I've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. So they've responded <clears throat> with a personal trust in Christ. And they responded with love for each other in the church, for all the saints. And Paul attributes that to God. And he thanks God for that reality. It really is a special work of God that any of you are here right now, today at all. It's a special work of God. Jesus is the only reason I know any of you people. I could trace that back very clearly in my life. I would not know any of you. My mom's not here, so. Um, I would not know any of you if it weren't for Jesus intervening in my life and, and in your life. He's brought us together just by being himself. Just by being who he is. He's, he's brought us together, and he's kept us together by the power of his spirit And all of it is according to the eternal plan of the Heavenly Father. And that's a lot of what Ephesians 1 is about. God's planned this out from before eternity. The triune God has brought you together. Right here, right now. Very practical uh, thing. You're sitting where you are because God has brought you together in faith and in love. He's always been at work in the world. He's been at work in your life. And Paul prays for then the further work of God, the continuing work of God. The increasing work of God, he says in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So if you're a believer, if you're part of Christ's church, you already have the Holy Spirit. You already have the Spirit. And you can pray for more. I'm not sure exactly entirely what that means, You've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the fullness of God dwelling in you, and you can pray for more. You can pray for more of the Holy Spirit, more of his fullness, more of his work in your life, changing your life. You can pray for more. And this is what that can look like. Here is a great example prayer. And Paul prays for the gift of the Spirit, in particular of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. So that's one facet of the Spirit's work that Paul is... um, 
praying for. So what does that mean? The, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, in the Bible, wisdom is very simply knowing how to live with God instead of apart from him. Knowing how to live with God by faith, particularly faith in Jesus Christ. And in the Bible, revelation is, uh, is God making himself known. It's, it's, what, it's everything God makes known. It's his word. It's his truth. It's his reality. It's about himself, about the way things really are. It's about who you are, really, and how to have a relationship with him. But in particular, especially, it's what God makes known about himself so that you can have the wisdom, you can have, um, uh, so you can live with him through faith. So Paul prays for this to come through the gift of the Spirit. It doesn't come any other way. It comes through the Holy Spirit. And it's like uh, the book of Revelation. There's that word, Revelation. Right? Uh, he's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, the, there's a whole book called Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ that John has this vision, and it says he's in the spirit on the Lord's Day, on the day of Christ's uh, resurrection from the dead on Sunday. It says, in the spirit, he has this vision. And everything he sees is what God is making known to him. And it's special revelation. It's not things he would have figured out on his own. Um, it's Christ's special revelation to him. That, that word revelation, apocalypsis, doesn't mean uh, like apocalypse, like you think of it in terms of like end of the world, crazy wars and fire and everything happening. Um, it really means revelation. It's like an unveiling. It's like a pulling back of the curtain of what is visible in the world, pulling back the curtain to be able to know the invisible, the eternal, the spiritual realities of God that are at work, in, in a sense, it, uh, behind the scenes, um, at work really in everything. So the book of Revelation is given to us because life is hard. Because life as a Christian in this world is hard. Life as a member of the church, life with Jesus Christ it's really hard. It's so hard. And God wants us to see. He wants us to know. So he reveals. He makes known. He unveils. He wants us to see the spiritual realities that are underlying everything. Everything that's happening in this difficult world. In order to give us comfort. In order to give us courage. In order to give us hope. So we could take heart. Also, uh, there's, a, I think, another parallel to this concept of what Paul is praying for here. <clears throat> um, in our Old Testament reading, uh, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elisha's servant, the servant of the, the great prophet Elisha, he wakes up to a disturbing scene to find the Syrian army encamped and, and surrounding them in Dothan, and that's, that's a moment that would drain you of all your strength. If you woke up to see that in the morning, here are our enemies. They are greater than we are, and uh, it looks like they're just on, the, on our doorstep and they're going to destroy us right now. We're in big trouble. It would drain you of all your strength, but the great prophet says, do not be afraid. That's the reason here. Do not be afraid. For those who are with us, are more than those who are with them. Then he prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire 
all around Elisha. So it's like this angelic army that's invisible that you can only see when the great prophet prays for you to be able to see and God opens your eyes and you can see this special thing that's going on behind the scenes that's going to the real reality. Do not be afraid. God's reality is greater than what you can see with your eyes. Don't be afraid. God's reality is greater than what you can see with your eyes. So Paul prays and teaches us to pray the same way. For the eyes of your hearts to be enlightened. And uh, so he says similar things in other places. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, We walk, we live by faith, not by sight, not by what these eyes see, but by faith. In Hebrews uh, chapter 11, the author says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then Paul again in 2 Corinthians 4 says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What do you believe is more real? Things that are seen with your own eyes or things that are unseen? Things that you could never see with these eyes, not in this life. What do you believe is more real? What you see with your physical eyes when you look around at the world or what you can only see with the eyes of your heart being opened by the work of the Holy Spirit? What do you believe is more real? What your own reason, what your own judgment is able to tell you about this life, about how the world is going, the events, the state, the trajectory of the world and your life? What you're able to sort of reason and judge about that? Is that more real? Or is the knowledge of God that only comes through the revelation of Jesus Christ, is that more real to you? Because, you know, when you look around at the world, it's pretty easy to see everything that's wrong. It's pretty easy to see what's broken, what's dead, or what's dying. It's pretty much everything. You don't have to look any further than your own body. Irreversibly aging, inevitably decaying. You don't have to look any further than your own body to be seriously tempted by depression or anxiety or worse. So uh, Leo Tolstoy said... He asked this question. It's a great question for us to ask. Everybody should ask this question. What will come of what I'm doing today or shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Despair in the face of death. Uh... That's where the best and brightest minds of this world go. Despair, meaninglessness, death. When they believe that what is seen is most real. Uh, Brian Chappell said, If our world is not to overwhelm us, we must know that what we see is not the full reality. The caring apostle prays that the Ephesians will see the spiritual reality that is not apparent to ordinary sight. Paul prays that God would give knowledge of himself to his people. So it's when we know who God is, that's what Paul's praying for, when we know who God is, when we know what kind of God he is, when we know what his work in the world looks like, and what his work in our lives, 
is supposed to look like, then we can take heart. So Paul prays for the Spirit's work. And he prays uh, in this passage, making us able to see uh, three things with the eyes of our hearts. We're only going to talk about one. But, um, but he wants us to be able to know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward believers. And for Easter Sunday, we're just going to focus on that last one because it's, it's really God's resurrection power that Paul is talking about and that he's praying about because he says in verses 19 through 20, he wants us to know the, me- the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So when Paul wants God to pull back the curtain on this world and the things that are seen, um, to, to be able to see what is unseen, like Elisha praying for his frightened servant, to be able to, to see the truth, the real truth, the full truth of the world. He wants the, the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to God's resurrection power, which is the really real reality <laughs> at work in and behind everything in the world. That's it's what the Spirit of God will show you when you look to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You look to him as the risen Lord you'll see the very nature of God's power at work. And it's at work in the whole world. And it's at work in you. And you'll see the trajectory and the destiny of everything in the whole world. Jesus died on the cross. And then he was sealed up in the grave, in the tomb. Until the third day, when God raised him from the dead. And when that happened... When that happened, God gave you permission, and he called you to see everything in light of that. Everything in light of his power, that resurrection power. God's resurrection power looks exactly like death until after. It looks like death until after. What God is doing in this world and in your life, it might look exactly like he were doing nothing at all. Like he had taken off, abandoned, and forsaken you. Until after. And it's that until after part that we've seen fulfilled in Jesus Christ in his resurrection from the dead. That you can't believe unless the Holy Spirit helps you believe it. Unless the Holy Spirit directs the eyes of your heart to Jesus. Even even to know as part of your relationship with God to, to give you the comfort, to give you the rest and the courage and, your, and the hope that there's going to be an until after in every part of your life, in every part of the world, everywhere that uh, God says he's at work, there's going to be an until after because until then, it's going to be hard to believe it. And the Holy Spirit needs to help us with that. God's immeasurably great power, his immeasurably great resurrection power, it doesn't sidestep the bad things. We wish it did. You see a bad thing, an obstacle in front of us, we say, obviously I don't want to go through that. I think God doesn't want me to go through that. So God, please, in your great power, make that go away or help me to get around it somehow. Help me to find the right detour to the, the easiest way to live. But God's immeasurably great power doesn't sidestep the bad things. It doesn't even sidestep death itself. He could save us all from death from having to go through that process at the end of our lives. 
having to see our loved ones go through that process. His power doesn't sidestep death. It goes right through it. It goes right through it, and it comes out safe and better and more glorious on the other side every time, guaranteed, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's resurrection power makes all the bad things, makes even death itself, only to serve his good purposes toward you who believe. There's nothing forgotten or lost, not in this world, not in your whole life. There's nothing forgotten or lost. There's nothing beyond help or hope. There's nothing empty or meaningless. There's nothing to fear. When you see God's resurrection power is the unseen, eternal reality, the underpinnings of this whole world because of who God is and what he's done for us in the gospel. A world full of death, a world full of despair, that's just a world that's perfectly ripe for resurrection and for joy. And Jesus Christ is himself the first fruits of that ripeness, of that harvest. He's the first fruits with the rest of the world sure to follow according to the promise of the Holy Spirit. The rest of the world will follow. We will follow. In fact, God's resurrection power has even more gravity than the grave. The only thing more certain, more sure, more inevitable than death is resurrection. Because Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. And, and maybe you won't even have to die to go through that process. The only thing more certain than death is resurrection. The one who died, Jesus, the one who died for love's sake, who was raised the firstborn of the dead, who is now the Lord of all the cosmos, Lord of heaven and earth, he wields that power, that resurrection power. He wields it for you, for the good of his church, for the good of his people. This power, this power of the risen Lord is what really dictates all of your life, not what you see with your eyes, not what you um, judge with your earthly mind. His resurrection power dictates all of your life. His resurrection, it's not just the proof of his power. Look how powerful he is. He conquered even death. It's not just the proof. It's the pattern. It's what his power looks like in this world and in your life. The wonderful pattern of seeds falling to the ground and dying. And it just looks like nothing's even happening. And then they push back up through the earth with new life. Jesus has this whole winter world right on the verge of an eternal spring. And he wields this power over heaven and earth for the good of his people so you also will love like he has loved and it'll backfire on you. And you'll be weak and wounded, sick and sore. You also will be betrayed, persecuted, suffer humiliation and defeat and lose control of your life and die until after until after 
So may the Holy Spirit open the eyes of your heart, and may you know the glorious resurrection power of God toward you and take heart. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your power is great, and it is terrible, and it's not what we have expected, it's not what we maybe even hoped for, but now that we hear about it, we realize that it's unstoppable, and your power can be at work in all things, even if we don't recognize it. Your power is surely at work in our lives, especially when we experience suffering, especially suffering for your name's sake. And uh, with the Apostle, we pray that um, you would take us through whatever it is you have to take us through in order that we might attain the resurrection of the dead, that we might know you as the resurrection. We long to know you, we long to be with you where you are, and we're glad, we're so glad that that means uh, eternal life with God, the restoration of all things, the healing of all wounds, the wiping away of every tear, and resurrection life. We're glad it means that. We, we're glad that we can be uh, guaranteed that, that great promise. We can be a, a fully assured of it because you've conquered death and hell in your rising from the grave. We pray that you would give us the full assurance of this through the power of your spirit now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.